Hi everyone, welcome to Infectious, your guide to life during coronavirus. Today we're going to be discussing school openings. Despite the U.S. hitting a record number of cases and states like Florida becoming the new hotspots of the coronavirus, many schools still want to reopen. And many parents are concerned about their children's safety. Today I'm going to be talking with the school president about the benefits and harms to opening up normal brick and mortar schools and the challenges that schools have to face when dealing with safety precautions and online learning. So, let's get right into the interview. All right, well, my name is Dr. Katherine Cobb, and I'm the president here at Holy Trinity Episcopal Academy. Uh, I have been here uh, just over three years. Prior to coming to Holy Trinity, um, I worked 27 years at Eastern Florida State College, where I was in charge of the academic programs and the online learning. And I'm also a practicing attorney, and, um, and but I haven't been full-time practice of law in over 30 years. Hi, Dr. Cobb. So recently, your school, Holy Trinity, has moved back its reopening date to September 2nd. So what goes into decision like that? Well, uh, it certainly wasn't one we made in a vacuum. Uh, what what was happening is what several weeks ago, sometime in, end of May, early June, we had made the decision to open up early August, which was actually about ten days to two weeks earlier than we had originally planned, and we were going to do that because we wanted to sh- to uh, have the semester on campus end in November, so we could have project based learning and exams done remotely. And a lot of colleges were doing that, and that allowed for people who were traveling, who might have been in other areas of the country that were hit hard by COVID to to be able to travel and then not have to come to campus um, and have a risk for other students. So way back, end of May, early June, that seemed like a wonderful, valid plan. And then, as you know, uh, what happened here in Florida is that the rate of COVID Uh, positive tests kept increasing and increasing and increasing. And uh, we had to reevaluate our decision. And one of the premises uh, for our group was that the governor closed all schools in March when the rate was much lower than it was in uh, July. And so we thought if they close it in July, we might not be responsible if we opened up so soon in early August. So what we met as a group, we have a leadership team here, it's the heads of school and um, other business officers uh, here at Holy Trinity, and we talked about alternatives and what would be the best for our students. And so we determined that if we opened up first week of September, that gives us time and, and hopefully the the virus would calm down and we would have a lower rate of COVID cases and it would be a safer option to return to school in September. And that was before uh, Brevard County Schools had announced and what they did actually is they announced the date and then they reviewed probably some some of the same data that we did and um, they've extended that. And you'll see some of the other school districts in Florida are now starting later in August.
Yeah, so after you make a big decision like that, many families agree with you and many families don't. So how do you deal with that difference of opinion when everyone's just trying to do what they think is right? Well, it wasn't easy because you're absolutely right. We had uh, parents and students on both sides of that. I had uh, several phone calls and emails praising that decision and thanking me for always looking out for the health and safety of our students and not put, putting them at greater risk. Um, but then I also had some parents who thought that we had delayed too long and kids need to be on campus. And um, every parent is right. You cannot fault a parent for voicing their concern for their own child. And so while I don't know what's best for each individual child, it's my responsibility to try to make the best decision I can for the Holy Trinity community at a time. So I had several phone calls. I had several emails that um, we had to respond and, and just try to have parents understand that we don't make these decisions lightly. We try to look at whatever data and resources we can and then make a coll collective decision on what we think would be in the best interest of our students. When you make a decision like this to continue as a brick and mortar school, many parents don't want to send their kids to learn there. So how do you do with students who want remote learning? Well, the enrollment has been impacted. Um, we are down quite a few students um, who either will not be returning because they're going to um, either be homeschooled or do some sort of virtual school. And then we have um, a handful of students, uh, probably about 5% so far, that have uh, indicated that they want a remote option. They still want to be a Holy Trinity student. They still want to learn from our faculty, but they want to do a remote option similar to what we did in um, March, April, and May. So we had to um, train our faculty on how to do both. See, in March and April, they just were doing remote learning. Um, now, we're going to have most of the students on campus, but we will have quite a few that will be learning remotely. So it's a, it's a burden on our faculty, but I think they're, they're up for the challenge, and they will embrace it. And we've got some new protocols and training and options available for them and the students. So. Okay, yeah. So talking about training your staff and preparing your school, what do you think has been the most difficult part of this whole process? I think social distancing and what that means in a school setting has been a difficult one to try to implement. Um, we're used to 18 to 22 students in a classroom with one teacher moving around, talking, getting excited. We have, we have many times where students will, a faculty member will ask students to work in groups. Um, we have chapel, we have lunch where everybody gets together. So we had to uh, reimagine how we are going to address social distancing in our uh, close school setting. Okay, so so far we've kind of been looking at this from a high school or middle school perspective, but how are you going to keep kids who are, let's say, in elementary school or preschool safe from COVID when they're not really going to be following any of those rules that you put in place? You're absolutely right. It's a different issue when you're talking about our younger population. And so what we're doing in our, uh, low, at our lower school, in our younger grades, they're actually constructing um, acrylic desk shields 
around each student's desk. It actually will be screwed into the desk so it's not movable. And that way they will be able to learn without having to wear a mask all day long because those rooms are tiny and we do have anywhere 16 to 18 students in a class. And it's, it's unrealistic to expect a first grader to wear a mask all day. Now, when they're on the bus or they're in the hallway or they're going to lunch, I think they might be able to keep a mask on for those short periods of time. But the deck shields um, are one thing we're doing both at the upper and lower school where we used to have uh, chapel all together as a community. We're going to have to divide that up and we'll do it by grades. And so where Chaplain Jared or Chaplain Garcia at the lower school um, would do one chapel, they're gonna have to do two or three to have the students spread out in those. And we're doing different things for lunch. Uh, the vendors will have to bring in individualized lunch options. We've got acrylic shields up. We're having to spread out where we're having lunches at the lower school and the upper school. So then um, there's different things. One of the things we're doing for our lower school faculty, uh, especially the early childhood teachers, we're, we're looking for masks that are see-through because when you're learning your alphabet and you're learning um, phonics and things, um, you need to see the teacher's mouth. A little four-year-old needs to know that their teacher is smiling or even to know when the teacher is stern and you can't get all that through a mask. So, uh, that's another thing we're doing. We're having to do different things with the playground equipment and uh, cleaning it even between recess for different grades. So um, there's a, a lot of things that we're implementing uh, to try to make our environment the safest it can be for all ages. Wow, that's really in-depth to look at your procedures. But despite all these precautions, someone's going to get COVID. So how are you preparing to deal with that? Okay, we actually have a step-by-step -step protocol with regard to um, how we are to be notified and then what our teacher and our, our nurse and our staff members do upon any notification of a positive test. And then there's a communication tree that will go out and then um, we will work with the Department of Health or we actually have now purchased an application that on your phone will tell us um, how many students in any grade um, might be impacted by COVID and that will let us determine whether or not do we shut down a classroom, a wing, or a school, depending on how many cases come up. Um, and you'll be very interested in this app. What it does is it will require every student, either the student if they're older or their parent, to take the temperature every morning, log it in, and there's a few other questions. Do you have a headache? Do you have a cough or other symptoms? Have you been around anybody with COVID? And you have to enter all this data. And then we'll get a printout right before school, maybe 7.45, 7.50, and it'll uh, highlight anybody who either has a fever or has any other symptoms um, or hasn't filled out their uh, data yet, and they will not be allowed on campus. We'll have people uh, at the front gate and in car line, and if you haven't been cleared, then you won't even be able to come into class. And so um, we're hoping to be able to prevent the spread by catching it before the student even comes on campus. Okay, wow, that's pretty thorough. So when many people talk about activities that are high risk 
for COVID-19, many talk about sports and clubs. So how do you plan on dealing with those when you reopen your school? Well, we are right now, as it stands with the Florida High School Athletic Association, we will be continuing with all sports. And as of a meeting Monday night, the Florida High School Athletic Association said that um, sports will resume. I think it's uh, training can begin the 27th of July, and then um, each school can then pick whatever week they want to start. But the actual competition will stay in place as they originally determined. And um, but however, they meet every week, and I'm wondering if if that might be amended as far as the dates go. But it it's our we have to follow Florida High School Athletic Association. And so they will determine whether or not we'll have some competitions. Now, if there's a different rule for public schools or public schools do something other than what we are able to do, we're going to assess the situation. And if we have to establish some other type of uh, local competition here, we will reach out to some other schools and be able to have either um, smaller scale uh, leagues and or even an intramural. I think it's so important for our students to be able to have these activities. And as you know, here at Holy Trinity, we've got uh, some amazing athletes and it would really uh, break their heart and their parents and ours if they couldn't com compete. And as long as we can do it in a safe environment, uh, we're, we're having some training going on now, students' temperatures are taken, uh, they're monitored. I know there's some uh, cross country and track to practice going on. They stay six feet apart. They're just outside, they're training. So um, it's an integral part of what we do here with the mind, the body and the spirit. And so we're gonna keep that going as long as we can within the guidelines. Okay, yeah. So along with sports and clubs, like we just talked about, concerts and dances are other really important parts of a student's life. So how are you going to be managing these events during this time? Well, right now, we could not hold a pep rally or a homecoming dance or a prom like we normally do. We just can't. It would not be safe. So um, when those times come, we will have to evaluate. Well, actually, we'll work with the students on that. Maybe we have small groups of people who gather and celebrate things. Um, but uh, right now, under the current conditions, we would not be able to have events like we did last year. Okay, yeah, so zooming out a little bit more from student life and more towards a relationship between faculty and families. Many doctors, when I interviewed them, have said that communication is the most important part of combating this virus. Would you say that applies for you? And how do you most effectively communicate with families during this time? Well, we actually have a uh, portal on our web uh, site, on Holy Trinity's website, and it's our um, school reentry uh, portal. And if you go there, there's several resources, and we update them all the time as we come up with any new policies or requirements. Um, there's a FAQ section uh, that parents can review. So we've actually dedicated a, a whole section of our website to nothing but um, information about how we're handling um, the pandemic here at school. We've also been very diligent about sending out emails um, every Friday of communication uh, with our school community. 
and when an important one like the one that announced the change of start date we first sent a text to every parent to go check their email so i think we've done a pretty good job of communicating to the parents and we'll continue to do that as things unfold or anything has to change because of the situation that's good to hear so another common question that a lot of people have been asking is how you're dealing with students mental health during this time because the pandemic has not only had a physical but also a mental effect so what services are you providing to your students and how are you helping them to stay on track after this big like disturbance in their life well that that's a struggle um, because we have been away from our students for many months and while a handful have reached out to Mrs. Ramos or some of the or Chaplain Jared or others, um, we really don't know who's out there suffering. But we have actually included some resources on our website for parents and or students to reach out. And we will be focusing some of our early days back on campus um, with our counselors and just making sure our students uh, transition back into campus um, so they feel loved, secure, and um, in a, a good environment, a healthy environment for them. So you're right, it's a struggle. And because I haven't seen so many of you, um, it's been hard for us to try to keep our finger on the pulse of how your social emotional uh, experience has been. It's good to see that you're paying attention to mental health during this time. So, final question. Many families have stated that they believe that this pandemic will be over after a few months and that schools will go back to normal, while others believe that schools will never be the same. So, what do you, what effects do you think that COVID will have on schools in the future? I do think school will be changed forever because of this experience. And I'm hoping it's all the, some of the good things that we've learned from COVID. One thing that we've learned, and I think we're very fortunate at Holy Trinity, we've learned that our students are focused and they're mature. And when need be, they have to learn online and they do quite well. Our AP scores came in and you all did well, just like any other year. We don't, we know that's not the preferred method of learning, but we know you all are capable of that. So um, one of the changes we've made here, because we've now had that experience, is we're offering two computer science classes in the fall, and they will be taught remotely. We have a faculty member who is from Palmer Trinity in Miami, and he's an expert in AP computer science and he teaches nothing but AP computer science. And so he's going to be teaching students in front of him in Miami, as well as our class here at Holy Trinity. And he's gonna be um, available back and forth um, for communications, but it'll be an, an online class for our students. We also have a former faculty member who taught computer science here. She was a beloved uh, faculty member, Pam Meyer, and she moved to Colorado. So she will be teaching again for Holy Trinity, but it will be an online class. So no student will take fully online courses unless that's the remote option that their parents choose, but it may now be one or two options for them so that we can expand course offerings and give you high quality known faculty members. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Cobb, for giving us an insight into what schools are having to deal with during this time and what policies they may be using to help deal with both in-person and online learning. All right, well, it's a pleasure. I'm your host, Fazadi, and thank you for listening to this week's episode of Infectious, your guide to life during coronavirus.